You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. Boom, I think we're live, Eric. I think we're live, boss. How are you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing great, my friend. I'm really doing great. I'm happy I'm home, relaxing this time of weekend. I'm looking forward to this weekend because I finally can stay home. Unfortunately, one of my students has to fight. I go, I'm so sorry, but I'm not going to make it this time. So. Oh, no. Yeah. So you? what you been up to, my friend? Oh, just been crazy busy with my, uh, my, my freaking breathing. I think the O2 trainer. I mean, it's been so crazy, and and you know, it's hard to convince the people what it really does for you. But if you if you listen to research, that 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 says that at the age of 29, your thoracic flexibility, your chest flexibility, and your lung volume peak. That means that when you're 30 years of age, and unless you're adding a breathing training to it, so to say, the amount of oxygen you get inside and outside of your body is going to decrease. There's no other way. You need to train those breathing muscles, which, by the way, you have 11 pounds of those breathing muscles because muscles tire just like any other muscle in the body. And if they're not trained well, well, they will contribute to whether you're or not. You're going to have great endurance or if your conditioning is peak. So it's so important that you drive it, and it drives me nuts that nobody actually pays attention to this. I mean, I talked to a lung specialist. And he said that 85% of the lung diseases are in the top part of your lungs. Do you know what it is? Because 95% of us, which why I was included, even when I was fighting for world titles, I was chest breathing. We just breathe on the top. We don't maximize what we have. And that's a big problem, you know, because if we maximize what we have, it's crazy. Four to six of these breaths is the same as one belly breath. Think about that. If you wow. see me fighting in 97 for a world title, you see me in the corner like this. I have a video on my website page, on my Facebook page, Boss Wooden's O2 Bootcamp. It's a Facebook page that I have only for users of the O2 Trainer. And you see me breathing like crazy. That is completely gone right now. I mean, it's bizarre. So training your diaphragm will make you sure that it gets stronger. Like a lot of people ask me this. Okay, I'm going to stop about it a little bit because otherwise it's too much of a crazy plug. But how do you get in shape, right? How do you get stamina? Why do you get in better shape? And then people go, yeah, you train hard. Yeah, but what happens inside the body? Why do you get in better shape? Well, I have the answer for that. You train a muscle. When you train a muscle over and over again, it becomes more efficient. And the word already says it, efficient. It uses less oxygen. Thus, your stamina increases. Now, you can train every muscle in your body, but you cannot train your breathing muscles, which, again, you have 11 pounds of. So if you're getting top-tip, tip-top shape, and suddenly you start gassing, well, that feeling of gassing, this is what a world-renowned breathing expert says, Dr. Belize Vredic. That feeling of gassing is oxygenated blood leaving your limbs to support your breathing muscles. They call it a medical term is blood stealing. Now, with all that information, knowing that 95% of the people breathe wrong, I would say train your freaking breathing muscles. You're going to feel insanely good. So I hope I convinced you now because I'm going to send you what I told you that. I'm waiting for it. You, you're going to feel it immediately. Ask Rick, ask any person, guy with 33% lung, lung function. Now he has 67%. The reviews are freaking bizarre. They're all four five stars reviews, all of them. Awesome. I'm excited. You, you, I can't wait to get one. 
You you now, you, you, you really gonna lose it? Finally, after years and years and years of trying to get them made, I'm glad you got them getting made now. Finally, man, it took it. Yeah, 2020 August, I ordered it, and 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 like six weeks ago, they were ready. Freaking drove me nuts. But listen, I want to know what you did and how did it all start because I I I saw some pictures you sent me. Uh, okay, explain to people what you've been doing. Well, I set up in a market and I do autograph, you know, sign autographs and do appearances and things. But I also make handmade ink pens and razors. And how it all started, I had an antique shop a long time ago, and there's a local guy that made them. And I asked him to put them in my shop, but he wouldn't cut me no kind of deal, and he, he wouldn't he wouldn't put them on consignment. So I mean, I'm not gonna pay him full price. So I went on eBay, I mean on on YouTube, and watched videos for a week. Went out and spent two grand, bought a bunch of equipment. I started making them, and I fell in love with making them. I mean, I just. But then I, I made it a step above. Most people make things out of wood and and plastics, but I make them out of bone and like. Like I made you one, boss. This one is made from an alligator jawbone. Just see. This, this is where the teeth were in the jawbone. Dude, that is so badass. And and, and and coming it from you making it. It's not like some body person. So that makes it but you also I saw pens. You sent me pictures of the bullpoints. This pen <laughs> is made from woolly mammoth ivory. And it's a, uh, what did I say, Cunning? What kind of, a fountain pen. That one's a fountain pen. Wow. That is crazy. And let me, I got another one here. This one, that one's made from alligator teeth. <laughs> Dude. And that one, that one, this is another one. It's made from the jawbone. How, do, how long does it make? How, how long the teeth was, that's where the teeth was, and I fill it with resin. Whoa. How, how long does it take to make one? Uh, anywhere from an hour to four hours, depending on what I'm making. Yeah. And all of them come with a card. I don't know if I can show it. Saying that I made it and what it's made from. Wow. So I give... Everybody's certificate of authenticity with each pen and razor. And I mean, I can't keep them in stock for any any time Father's Day or Christmas or Mother's Day comes along. I can't keep pens and razors. <laughs> I believe it. I, I mean, just posted you know, it on my Facebook. I think I've sold three already since I've posted it. But yeah, I got I got I got a bunch of them made for Christmas already. I've been working on it for the last month or so. Wow! And when did you start <laughs> making them? Oh man, I've been doing it for almost fifteen years now. Back when I was fighting, oh, wow. even. so it's yeah, really picking up now. Especially yeah, with I do, I like the raw bone, cut it, put it in the mold, pour the resin. I do, I do it all. <laughs> Never expected you to do that. From boxer no, to man, artist, up people making making th things out of dead bones. <laughs> but it's good. It's not usable anymore. They don't use that. Yeah. It's actually a, an honor. For the animal, because now they're getting used for something, right? Exactly. So it didn't die for nothing. So, uh, well, you, you eat alligator too, right? I understand, because I, I, I tried alligator. It's really not bad. A little bit of tough chicken, I, I said. 
if you got, you probably got the leg meat. If you eat the tail, the tail's real tender. Oh yeah. Yeah, the tail tail's almost like a pork chop type texture. It's really good. Okay. All right, I gotta come over one time because I'm pretty sure you you know how to fry one really good, really well. Somebody, yeah, Peter just asked if I use a wood lay. Yeah, I use a wood lay. I have probably five different lays in my shop. <laughs> you know, because you gotta buff them and do different things to them. So yeah, I use wood lay on them. <laughs> nice. But I, make, I also make like walking canes and things like that too. Yeah, here, here's a guy asking pay programming. That's his name. He said, what was that? A knife made of shark's jawbone. Damn. Do you make knives also, like knife handles? That would be cool as well. I have made, I have made knives, but I just – I don't like messing with the metal. I like I like the handles and the wood. But yeah, I've made, I've made several knives. I just don't like working with the, the steel. Oh, okay. It's a little bit too much of a hassle. And then you got to have a whole nother, no different kind of shop for all that. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it. And plus, you know, if you want to do it correctly, then maybe you need to hire a guy who makes the metal, like a good knife guy, so you have quality knives because you get a quality handle. You need a quality product. Yeah, I've done. I've done. I've made some safety razors and some. Uh, I mean, some uh, straight razors and some other knives. But I, it just takes so long. It just for me, it's not feasible. Yeah, 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 yeah. Too much is too much. It's like work. This, making the pins and razors is fun because you make different designs and you really don't know how it's going to turn out till you get till you get it done yeah but that's the coolest part you know it, it, it's a great christmas present that's what i'm uh, saying yeah. right? my, my uh my brother's uh what would landon be live it's it's uh his my my niece, my uh brother's daughter's husband who that, that'd be his son-in-law okay he bought him one a couple years ago and he says the best gift he's ever got there you go and he's using it every day. Every time he says it, and he means it. Yeah, but plus also you use it almost every day. If it's a shaver, you know. Exactly. I mean, You're gonna love it. I got I got yours coming, boss. Oh man, I'm, I I I can't wait because I love uh, before, before I leave out of town. I love a good shaving handle. <laughs> You're gonna love it. Right on, man. So, anything else? What have you been up to? How's the bidet? Is it still good? We we should do some uh, questions actually, right? Answer some yeah, questions. I something about a finishing move. What's your favorite finishing move, boss? Um, you know that's uh, I'm I'm so proud of uh, my record. I pretty, I didn't do a, a gogo palada and a normal palada, but that's what. And for the rest, I think I put off a knee bar, heel hook, inverted heel hook, toe hold. Triangle chokes, uh, arm bars, side chokes, rear naked chokes, knee bars, upside down knee bar. I don't think anybody in the world ever did one. I was just lucky because it was in standing position. It was against Murray Smith, and he was standing, and suddenly I dive over. I want to roll into a knee bar, but he was holding the ropes. But because he was holding the ropes, I was on the top of my head, and my legs were up. And I knee barred him, and he had to he had to grab the ropes. He goes stop, 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 stop. So I think it was the first ever upside down knee bar performed then i want to fight with the boss with the neck crank which is kind of not a neck crank it's a body crunch in where you i stop your chest from expanding so you can't breathe anymore and uh so yeah i think i pulled off pretty much every submission uh-huh the breathing apparatus uh, oh i love it yeah it's everything it's everything but i pride myself to say you know whatever the opponent gives to me 
I like to take that. You know, most of the time I don't work for a submission, but you know, if I see something open, yeah, well, of course I'm going to take it. So when I I was at at top team training, you know, the, the simple moves are the most effective, most effective, like key bar, things like that. Yep. To me, that's, the, the simple things that come natural and easy, them are, them are the best ones to go with. I, that's how I submitted Zulu in the very last Pride show with the Kimura. Yeah, yeah. But it's also against Zulu. Like, if you pull it off against the uh, freaking Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, they'll know ex- exactly as soon as they grab it. First of all, you're not going to grab it <laughs> because they know. And second of all, they know exactly what to do to get out of, the heck out of there. The thing that you have, and especially with Kimuras, uh, a figure four locks, is, these ones, they have, uh, it's very good because of your weight. If you're on top and a side weight, uh, side mount, it's very hard for them to buck you up. And especially when you were at your fighting weight, you were over 400 pounds, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, you I see, so then, then you live, you, just your laying on somebody's floating on the diaphragm will cannot make him expand, could already simply stop him from breathing. He has to tap. I mean, so he cannot move. And then, yeah, figure four. And hammerlock, whatever you want to call it, is a very uh, if, uh, a good one, and and a reverse one as well, which is also the Kimura called as named as the Kimura. So how us be this? Ooh, was there ever a fight you had, boss, that during the fight you were worried you were going to lose? And if so, who was it? Hmm. No, it's really weird. Um. That I don't, I, I would have that in a street fight, like when I was uh, fighting those five bouncers, because I, I was dropping them, but there were five of them, so every time they would wake up, and I go like, oh shit, eventually I'm going to run out of gas. I was doing great, because I was just came from a fight, so I was really going hard, but that, was, that, uh, that made me worried for that moment. But in a fight, I'm always positive, it's really weird, you know, and if there's a negative thing coming from, oh, maybe you got to stop, it's not like... Uh, it, it's more safety for yourself. Like what people always say, um, you, you can read this in, in B- Big Joe McCarthy's book. So when I fought uh, Kevin Randleman, he smashed my face in in the first three minutes, right? On the ground, I mean, he was bang, bang, my nose was flat on my face. Now, a day before or the day of the fight, I don't remember anymore what day it was, we were talking about the myth with the nose bone into the brain, Right. And so I knew that was a myth. That's not a true story. But then the person said to me on the day of the fight or the day before, he said to me, he says, yeah, you're right. It's a myth. He said, but if your nose is already broken, then it can happen. So what do you know? I'm in the fight. My nose is broke. They stand us up. And then Big Joe McCarthy, he says, okay, the doctor says, your nose is broke. What are you going to do? And I look at Big Joe and I say, do you believe that crap with the nose bone into the brain? And he goes, no. I go, after it. I'll fight. You know? And he put it in his book. He thought it was hilarious. But you see, if he would have said, you know, there's, yeah, it can happen. You know, I can be, act like I'm a tough guy, but I'm also a father, you know? And I don't like to die. I'm not one of those guys who wants to die in the ring. I'm a very happy person outside of fighting as well. And I'm enjoying life. <laughs> if there's a chance for me to avoid to die... I'm, I'm going to avoid to die. So, yeah, so I never had that worry. It's really weird. You know, on the street I had it, but in the fight, I never had it. I just always thought. And you know what also happened with me? Uh, one time, it was my second fight in Japan. I was completely done. They let me travel eight hours on the day of the fight. Like, in the morning, I slept an hour because the time difference with Holland and with Japan is crazy. Nighttime is daytime, so you can't sleep. And then they let me travel, travel for eight hours on the day of the fight. 
And I came at the arena. I was throwing up by now. I couldn't drag my my my, my manager was carrying my uh, suitcase because I always I never had a coach. I trained myself, so it was my manager doing it. I was throwing up. I wanted to stop, and then I got caught in an armbar, and I just wanted to tap. But as soon as I wanted to tap, I heard the audience chanting for my opponent. And then my ego took over, and I got out of the armbar, and then I knocked him out 30 seconds later with a knee to deliver, actually. Oh, wow. And, and that was the moment what's after. What's huh? the worst injury you've ever had going into a fight? Um, worst injury? Me, I've had two that were, like, memorable. One, I had a broken sternum, and I fought. And the I other one, during the fight. I broke my hand really bad a week before the fight. Yeah, I, I broke a sternum during the fight. That was a draw, became a draw. And now it's sticking out because now they pushed it the other way around. Now it's literally, you feel it sticking out. But it was cracked in and I got really worried. It would puncture my lungs. I didn't know how it would work, you know, so I was completely defending everything. And and then I had an injection one time in my knee. My last fight, I was pretty banged up. I had a rip out, you know. And uh, But but one time I remember I had a lidocaine shot on my shoes. I was waiting for the announcing my name. And as soon as they announced my name, I stabbed it in, emptied it closed my shoes and then I walked to the ring because my ankle was hurting so bad I almost couldn't walk and I thought okay let's see if I can numb that up well that numbing that is 10 minutes and it's gone so when when they're through the opening and the announcing it's already feeling again so but then yeah. the, the adrenaline kicks in right oh without so. a doubt adrenaline helps a lot Bean this is for you I love that too I want to ask you that question you know, I mean, I hated going the distance with him. I mean, if he would have fought, like, stood there and boxed, like, not not boxed. I mean, that's what he did. He boxed, he hit and run. But if he would have, like, tried to exchange more, and that's what I was waiting for, I'd have probably knocked him out. He got he got scared in the, in the second round. He hit me the straight right, and it was, it was a perfect punch. I mean, it's probably everything he had. And I looked at him, I smiled, like, is that the best you got? And it scared him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then he just he run the rest of the fight. He never even never even got any kind of exchange with me. Well, he probably felt the impact, and he thought that was a really hard punch. And then you saying is really that's it. I heard that uh, I don't know who against it was, but Muhammad Ali did it also against Frazier, I believe, right? That he whispered in his ear. He says that's really all you got. And he said he was hurting. He was hurting a lot because Frazier was hurting him. And then he whispered in his ear, "Is that all you got?" And Frazier later said, I believe it was Frazier, so I don't know 100% that that really took everything out of him. He never expected that. Oh, the mind, the mind game in, in the fights have a lot to do with the fight, too. Oh, yeah. 100%. What something would you I, do? Something I do. What would you home. do to crispy bluff? Do what? Well, how, what, what would you, like, I would say these li little derogatory things uh, in my interviews, but not big. I would say... How good is he? I said, oh, he's a, he's a good fighter. I'm just I'm better in every area, but he's a really good fighter. And I would say that really fast. And I know that normal people don't hear that, but my opponent is the only thing he hears. You know? Oh, and then he goes, what did he say? So I, I tried to get him angry, so they start loading up and telegraphing. Well, when I, fought, when I fought Holmes, I had the promoter put in the contract that I went out last, which I knew Holmes was going to want to go out last. Yeah. Oh, it messed his mind up big time. I said, "No, you used to be you used to be something special, but now you're you're not nothing no more." I go, "I'm the bigger name." 
Yeah. He, he, him so, he was so furious. <laughs> so I knew I was going to end up going out before him. But it was the point <laughs> of making him get him all riled up. And, and it messed with his mind. Oh, 100%. That's what it does. Oh, uh, Ruben Warpath, Valerial ability to take your shots. Okay, so that was what I was just talking about, my last fight. I had a rip out, and it happened like 12 days before the fight. I couldn't even hit a bag anymore. I could only shadow box, because if I would hit something solid, it would really hurt my, my body. Uh, and then on top of that, Don Fry called me, and he just fought him like three months before he fought me. And Don said he couldn't knock him out. He says, dude, the guy has a really hard head. So I said, that's okay. I said, I will go for a headshot. If I feel he's got a hard head, I'm not going to waste any energy. It will be low kicks. And if low kicks don't work, I will take him down and I will go for a submission. That was my ABSC game plan. And then when I hit him a few times really hard, he actually was acknowledging it. First he said, man, you're fast. And I go, oh, thank you. And then I hit him again. Bang! And his head is flying backwards. And he goes, ooh, and you hit hard. I go, not hard enough. You're still standing here. And then I switched it to the low kicks. And then suddenly after my third low kick, I saw he start limping. Yeah, and then I wrapped him up with the, with the low kicks. Yeah, but he indeed had a really hard head. Then again, I think I would, have, would not have had my rip out. I, I could have torqued better, put more power in, upper body motion and torque. I think, uh, well, I'm, I'm hoping I could have uh, dropped him. But uh, I, unfortunately... I, always, I, would, I would always take a head a head shot before I wanted low kicks. I'm telling you, my, I, hated, I hated the... The low Mike Bernardo, he he get me, he got me so bad. I mean, I could after that fight, I could barely walk. <laughs> Mike Bernardo, he's a freaking animal. He's a good so guy. Oh, how, many, how many Bruce Lee books have you? I've I've never read a Bruce Lee book. Oh, I uh, I've, I might have one right here somewhere. Let me see, um, because I'm I'm a big big Bruce Lee. Fan. I have the Tower of Meat can go, and I have the big. Tell all story now, also from uh, Matthew Pollock. He wrote that. He's a really good writer. I, I, he had the American Samurai or the American Ninja. That's a really fun book, also uh, that he wrote. So, but if you if you look at the Tao of Yeet Kune Do, everything in mixed martial arts is in that book. I mean, I'm talking triangle chokes, heel hooks, knee bars, inverted heel toe holds. I mean, freaking every submission, pretty much you can think. Freaking Bruce Lee was putting that already in his book a long time ago. So, yeah, I'm uh, one of my biggest things that I ever did of the best memories is interviewing his daughter, Shannon Lee. And that was uh, that was a really cool thing because I told her, I said, without your dad, I wouldn't have been sitting here interviewing you because he was the one that put me on the path to become a fighter, to knock out my bullies because I was sick of them. Wow. So, so what do you think the sport's going to – I mean, because they keep changing all the rules. How do you think it's going to end up? I think, yeah, I think it will be safe, uh, but, but it, it's, it's freaky, you know. You have fighters now. They're so good. Like in my time, I was – two out of ten fighters would be highly uh, – always stamina could go the distance. And I was just one of those. And if you had that capability of just training insanely hard – you're going to do really well. Now everybody is in freaking tip-top shape. And everybody knows the ground and wrestling and striking. And sure, they have their advantages. They, they prefer a certain style. But don't be fooled, you know, because you think it's a strike and they go down and they will submit you. You see? So, and I see that constantly it's evolving. And, and all the submissions, I tell everybody, all the submissions are there. The only thing that 
you need to be you need to be creative for to find a setup that nobody ever saw before because if you find that then you can stop somebody with a submission the same for in boxing you know the one two is still one of the most used combinations that knocks people out but it's all when do you throw the one two and how do you set it up do you uh, do body head body head or body body and then sorry head and it's all a trick on how to camouflage the knockout combination that you're going to throw over the knockout punch. And that's the same in submissions. Let's see. Rob asks, let's see. Uh, what, rule, what, what rule do you think needs to be changed or modified to make the sport better? I Okay, for me, I would love, and I've been talking about this uh, at least 10, 15 years. I would like to have a cruiserweight. I would like a 230 weight. And I, I think the 205 to 265 is way too big, that leap. Because if you're a guy who cannot cut the 205, but it's like 220, and you fight a guy who cuts down to 265, who's on the day of the fight to 85, and now with guys like freaking Engano and, and Gain and all these guys, they're such a freak athletes. They're mobile, they're good on their feet, they have crowd experience. And it's hard. Size does matter nowadays. In the beginning, yeah, nobody know really the it's game. Not really, yeah, it's not it's just another weight class you think it needs to be added. Another weight class. And, and for rule, for me, I would like introducing knees to the head on the ground as well. I'm like okay pride. with that. Like yeah. pride. Uh, like pride. Yeah, I'm okay with uh, with that. Not the stomps on the face. I don't like that. But from side mount, you know, because you can defend those. But it will open a whole new world again. Because you can throw them to the body, which you already actually can. But as a well, setup, then you can certainly switch it to a headshot. So... Yeah, I think that would be pretty cool because the knee also knocks you out. An elbow, most of the time, thankfully, we see more knockouts now. But in the past, from the 100 elbow, there were 99 cuts. They stopped the fight. I mean, one knockout. Well, that's, why pride, that's why pride didn't allow elbows. Yeah, because it's, okay, you won, but would you fight on the street? If you have a cut on the street, would you stop fighting? Of course not. You're going to no. keep on fighting. You see, so... And a knee will knock you out. So I, yeah, I'm good with knees in there. Well, it's safer being knocked out quick than like 20 little little punches. Exactly, exactly. And it's a big move, so it's easier to defend. You know. Then again, if you find create a way, an opening that you camouflage with body shots and suddenly flip a knee in there, it's a really cool. You know what is legal? This is the craziest thing. I'm going to see if I can explain that. This is, I asked I asked the big John McCarthy, and I don't see anybody do this. I don't know if I can explain it with, with this. If I'm sitting in a half guard, like this, right? Let me put this a little bit up. So, <laughs> so somebody, I'm in, in a half guard. So this, I'm on the ground, this neck is on the ground. If I have somebody's head here, I can literally, with his knee being here, it's pulled up his own knee, which I can drive with my hip upwards, and I can push that into his face i can literally knee him with his own knee into his face and i haven't seen anybody doing that but if you're in that position it's very hard to stop it's a super because it's your hips and you grab his head you got so much power and you can literally knock him out with his own knee so i really would love to see somebody try that one time and see if it works that's called the boss hurt move exactly the boss with yeah, me. Kyle asked how my camp, uh, my motorhome's going. I love it. Good, 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 good. What is this? 
Oh, it's the same thing. Okay. Do the people see that at home also these questions? Yeah, we don't have to repeat it. Does it do the same thing as training in high altitude? Does it increase your lung volume? Uh, no, no, both of those, no. It's not the same as high altitude training. Uh, there's no device out there that actually can claim that. Not especially not when you use for a short amount. If you do it for hours and then less oxygen will actually trigger the red blood cell count, but never like high altitude. And you also cannot more add volume to your lungs. Unfortunately, what you have is what you have, but you can maximize what you have. Remember, I was talking about chest breathing. Well, if you do that compared to belly breathing, well, now you tap into 70% more gas, more, more oxygen. So just switching that, it's a big thing. Listen, there's Jack Daniels, right? Not a drink. Jack Daniels is, is celebrated as one of the best coaches in endurance, you know, by, by Runners World magazine. And this guy, he says, he's the most respected athlete and trainer. And he says the first thing he does is looking at the breathing from his, uh, from his potential, from, from, from his clients, the people that he's training. He says, because that is the very most important. You know, I had a guy who had an oximeter, you know, the thing that you put on your arm, on your uh, finger, 100% oxygen. Worked like maybe one, uh, one week with the, with the trainer, 100% oxygen. So, yeah, and a short thing, no. It doesn't increase your size, but you maximize what you have, and it doesn't do the same as high-altitude training. I actually believe it's better than high-altitude training because you're going to be it's able better. to put more air into your body and faster in and out, and that you cannot do with high-altitude. High-altitude is actually less resistance, but then again, you get the red blood cell count. Doing both, that would be, of course, the best. Did you ever go out and train in high altitude? I did. I did for my uh, world title fight, and I realized I shouldn't have done it. Oh, no, I didn't look at the rules. The rules that you dehydrate your maniac. I didn't know. So when I jumped on the weight scale, I needed to be over 200 pounds. There was a new weight class in the UFC. That was the first time that they added weight classes, 200 pounds and under and 200 pounds and over. And I'm standing there with my jeans on the weight scale, and I'm 197. And they go like, okay, you can fight, but you can't fight for the title. I said, why not? I said, you need to be over 200 pounds. They go, oh, wait, one moment. So I went to my buddies who were drinking water. So I said, give me your water. So I start slowing down all these waters, and I got back on scale. I drank way too much. I was 203. <laughs> but that's when they was allowed to fight for the title. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a title fight. But it was because of high altitude. Later on, I found out. And high altitude, what it also did with me, I felt really bad the day before, man. I, my hands and arms were gassing the whole time, and then somebody that is again because you're dehydrated. You need to load up on a lot of water, which I didn't do at the time because simply nobody told me that. So yeah, did you did you ever go high altitude? Yeah, I turned up at uh, Delahoya's camp in Big Bear. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, and that's not too crazy. running was horrible. I mean, you could barely walk up the walk a block, and then. I think it was, it was pretty high, 80, 89, something like that. It was up there. Oh, wow. When you hit the back, I mean, you just cannot get the air in, right? It's like, it's it's so weird. It's You don't know what's going on. And it's like three rounds is a freaking nightmare to go full on the back. Dead tired, dead tired all the time. But once you got used to it and then you come down, it's like the air just went like, it's crazy. It is. You know, more O2 is everything. And we only have like 20 or 21% oxygen in the air. Imagine that. And they even take more away when you go over there. So, 
It's wild how oxygen works. I'm, I'm doing all these breathing courses now with, these doc, with Dr. Belize Avrenich. So I learn a lot about the diaphragm and distance running. And, and, and these guys who, who broke records already, uh, the four-minute mile. I mean, that thing that has been done such a long time ago already. Sydney, what's his name? Uh, oh, no, there's a, a Sir Roger Bannister, that guy. You know, he, that was in 52. He did the four-minute mile. And then apparently there was an Indian guy. Uh, okay, I have to look that up. What his name is? Big Hawk Chief. And this is all the way back. Let me see if this, if I have a, a thing in 1875. And they said that Army Rangers, they, they, they caught him and they clocking a mile on him. And they said that he ran the mile in three minutes and fi uh, 58 seconds. So oh. he could have been the very first person ever did that. And then well, you somebody, hear some other things. Think about this. Huh? Sorry, somebody just commented that he loves our loves the, the, the podcast that it helps with his depression. Like, you know what? That's I think everybody that that's sometime that I've had depression. I know you have. I mean, everybody I has. I mean, I've had it really bad before. I mean, but you just got to overcome it. And good friends help a lot. You know, and writing what helped for me was writing down all the positive things and the negative things. And then you realize the positive things outweigh the negative things. For me, I've never been depressed. Only one time. And I was contemplating suicide. It was the wildest thing. It was after my fight in 2006. And it was three, four months. It was very scary. Now, when I saw these commercials on TV, normally you see these people depressed. They go, just be happy, dude, right? Such an idiot now. Because then you realize... It's not that easy. Oh, just be happy. Really? Just be happy? Dude, it's a freaking nightmare. You're in something. contemplating driving my car against the bridge. My wife got the life insurance policy. I was, I, I was, whoa, whoa, what the hell am I doing? What am I thinking? This is crazy. It was so wild. I was never in that position. So I really feel for people who are depressed. I've lost, I've lost at different times, three or four months. Just couldn't get out of bed. Whoa. I mean, I was just that depressed. I mean, I slept all the time. I didn't want to do nothing. I didn't want to go nowhere. I just wanted to just curl up in a ball and crawl under a rock. And, and how do you uh, get out of it? Is there a way, a trick? I don't know what. I don't know. Just talking to Libby and, and, and just, you know, having having good friends to talk to. Talking helps a lot. Talking helps a lot, yeah. It does. Yeah, it's pretty much there's a lot more people out there that have worse problems than I ever thought of having. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I heard a comedian say one time, um, well, however bad you have it, every person six feet under will trade places with you in a heartbeat if they could. Any position you are in, pretty much. You know, there are some real bad positions. You know, if you think I don't even want to go over that. But, but yeah, it's uh, life you need to enjoy it. But good friends, very important. Good relationship, very important. You know, it's everything. And like I always say, it's too short. You know, life's too short to let somebody not know that you that you care about them and that, you you know. So, so, so y'all tell your wives and your girlfriends and not wives and girlfriends at the same time, but at different times. <laughs> Just tell them what you're doing. Let the, let the court be noted that I said this. That is so funny. It is, uh, yeah, it's everything. And tell people you love them. You know, in Holland, we have this thing that if, if I tell a guy, hey, I love you, or you're gay, it's the first thing they say. They have a real, I say, do you love, 
what? So you think I want to have sex with you if I say I love you? Yeah. I say, do you love your dog? And he goes, yeah. I go, do you want to have sex yeah. with your dog? <laughs> right? I guess that's how I love you. I just love yeah. you. I don't love you sexual. It's so weird that they have that. And thankfully in America, it's not the case. Here you can say that to your best buddies. And I love that. Yeah, different cultures is kind of crazy. Like in Japan, grown adults will play with toys and watch cartoons, and, and it's, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. You're put down upon it. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're going to get beat up. <laughs> Even in Japan, I mean, I kept, they, they kept giving me these little figures, these these Dragon Ball Z figures. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Why don't you bring these toys? They go, no, that's a big honor. So that's kind of <laughs> cool. I, you know, I, I, I always like it. in Holland you say a real man uh, can't cry, and in Japan they say a real man has the guts to cry, and I like exactly. that better, you know, because oh, he has God. the balls to show his emotions. Yesterday, Yesterday was a gift. Today's the blessing. Tomorrow yeah. isn't problem. Hundred percent true. The first thing I do when I wake up, I thank the Lord that I'm alive. It's the first thing I do. Thank you for another day. Important. Yeah. It's better than being dead. Guarantee it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not good. Wow, man. Man, what a life we have, right? We're sitting on TV, on, on, on screen. We're talking, having a good time. I met you a long time ago when we went over to Canada. I was talking about that the last show. It's, it's funny how worlds come together. Right? It's a small world, too. It really is, boss. I mean, I've yeah. met people in other countries, like fans, and then I've met them in the U.S. later down the line. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Here's a good one. I was, I was set up at the, at the market this last weekend, and there was an autistic kid that come up was a huge fan of mine. And his mother told me on the way, he, on the way to the market, they didn't know I was going to be there. They had no idea I was going to be there. And the, and the kid goes, Hey, do y'all know Butterbean's still alive? And then they met me that same day. I mean, how freaky is that? That's freaky. But I mean, it just, it just come out of them. I just for no reason just said, you know, Butterbean's still alive. Yeah, but how many times? And and everybody has this. Like I didn't hear from a person for four years. In the morning, I wake up, I think about the person, I open my email, and there's an email from that person, or he calls that day, or he does that day. It's it's always like that. You haven't heard years. And as yep. soon as you think about that person, we're all connected, dude. We are all connected, 100%. And we just lost the gift. And we have to fight, fight out to reconnect. There's this study in Holland. This guy told us by from people, the cities. And I think that they measured that in America even. The cities where most people meditate. Don't, don't even, I'm not even talking about praying. Meditation. Where people, A lot of people, I believe it's one point... Two five percent of the population, if they meditate, there's like forty percent less violence in that city, and, and like every single one of them, you know, there's these crazy tests, and that is just meditation because it brings calmness. And I think we're all connected. Then you spread it out. It's a good thing. Yeah, I think I think our brain does more than we than we than we know that it actually can do. Oh, I believe we can move things, hundred percent in the back page. You know, if you if you go to uh, Stan Lee's Superhumans. Did you ever see that show on YouTube? Yeah. Dude, I envy you right now because you, you're you going to want to see it. There's people that can do things 
you you have absolutely no clue. There is a guy who stands in for in, in front of this. Uh, oh, but but go cast. What are these llama looking things uh, looking like? They're really funny. Kokoki or Kopaka, 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 something like that. It's, yeah, it's one of those animals. But anyway, this guy says that he can bring every animal to sleep with his chi. And there's this whole group of them, and they're standing. And he starts Help doing this thing. And one starts buckling. And by, they start yawning, and they all go to sleep. Then there's a guy who shoots with a pellet gun 440 um, feet a second. And there's a samurai guy standing with a samurai sword. And he shoots the pellet gun in slow motion. You see him cutting the pellet in half. This pallet with a samurai sword. You see the guy with the, they put up a, a, a pill. They throw it up in the air at 30 yards with a bow and arrow. Shoots it in the, in the midair. He shoots. There's a guy who comes to interview a person. He's blind. And you know how he arrives? On a tandem. On a tandem bike. And he's this. He's using echolocation. I've seen, I've seen that guy before on something different. He yeah. works off echoes. That, that's that's awesome. Freaking, and, and then the guy jumps on his back, and then they go to the city. And then they say, because they want to take him out of his element, they actually put him in a car and go to a city where he's never been. And they put him in a phone in front of a, a, where they have phones. It's not a phone booth, but just phones. And he says, what is here? And he goes, he says, phones. And then, oh, that's a trash can. That's a truck. That's a bike. That's a motorcycle. <laughs> you see, guys, people like that, there's insane what people can do. There's one guy who can attach everything to his head by wrapping his, literally his mind on it. So wooden plates, uh, uh, ceramic plates, heavy stuff. He puts it on his mind and then he lets it go and he, can just hold, he holds it with his mind. What's the name of this so, guy? The Stan Lee's. That's the guy, the writer from the Spider-Man. Superhumans. Okay. Stan Lee's Superhumans. I'll check that out tonight. Yeah, that's that's really some crazy stuff you see. That's where that's next level stuff. So what Super you got young. coming up? What you got coming up soon? Um, I'm going to have a talk, in a, a public talk. It's a motivational talk. I talk about uh, how to stop doing the bad things because I'm really good at that since I did a lot of bad things. <laughs> You know, this helps a lot. A rubber band. This is how I stopped swearing, using profanity. I realized, why would I use profanity all the time? It's stupid. It's not good for the students in my, in my gym, for the little kids who come in. If they hear me do it, why don't they stop with it? Stupid. You know, so I start stopping. I, I couldn't do it. And a friend of mine says, get a rubber band. And he says, every time you do a word, you pull it and you let it go. And if that one doesn't hurt, you do it three times in a row. This little thing, or this moment now, I really feel it. So... It works. And what do you know? Within a month, or within a week, I think, I stopped dramatically. And now it's completely gone. For the last seven years, I don't I don't like to use it anymore. But you know, then I can do this with this. So I should be able to do this with everything. So if somebody really annoys me and I want to say something, and you see me pulling my, 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 my rubber band, the reason is I want to say something, but that stops me from... Stopping it. And the more you do it, like the guy cuts into traffic, click. I want to get angry, don't, click. And every time when you do it, you get a little bit better, a little bit better. And boy, it takes a long time with so many idiots in traffic. But you know, suddenly after the hundredth time, it starts to become easier. Because this is the thing what I realized there, uh, Bean. I realized that 
I can't change these people. I try to, and I say, hey, why would you do that? I get out of my car. I say, just explain to me why you would. And they always go like, yeah, that was stupid. I go, that's the only thing I want to say. But I can't do that with everybody. Someone's going to shoot me one day, right? But what I can do is I can change myself. And if I, how, how, how I deal with that problem, you know, and don't make it a problem anymore. And that's the rubber band. I do use this for a lot of things. And it, uh, it works like magic, so. Yeah, I've watched a lot of the, uh, I'm trying to think what it was on. It was on, it was on YouTube. It was about aggressive driving and accidents, just stupid shit that, that people were doing. And it's made me not do some of that same stupid shit that I used to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what, a lot, what it also a lot is? It, it's pride. It's ego. Like, this is how I found this out, right? So I'm driving my car. A guy cuts me off. I get angry. I think, somehow, I think that's a personal attack. I get, I, I think, because then one time I was driving with a buddy of mine, and I was sitting shotgun, and somebody cut him off, and he got angry. And I started laughing. I go, it's just an idiot, dude. Why are you angry? And while I'm saying it, I go, oh... I see it as a personal attack. There's no other explanation because I don't care if it happens to him, but if it happens to me, how dare he? You see, I go like, okay, I got to let my ego, dude. This is not good. That's a that's an asshole thing. I park, right? Like this guy drives on the road, he goes, oh, that's boss. He's got a Ford Explorer. Let's cut him up. Who, how the heck would, would he know who I am and do that on purpose? But I believe he did. You see, so then once I realized that, that helped me a lot. Same thing after I watched that. It helped me just, you know, okay, he's, he's an asshole. Let him be. Let him go <laughs> yeah. do his own thing. I'm not, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I used to get, like, so aggravated when somebody, like, you go to go around the pass and they'd speed up. Yeah. Oh, man, it just pissed me off. <laughs> you know, when you're going to pass them, for, for why they speed up, No, re I don't know why. Yeah. But I guess Instant, I mean, almost 90% of the people do. But, but if okay. You're in, the, you're in the right lane, you turn your blinker to go in the left lane, they speed up where you can't get in front of them. Super annoying. But I got, I had this guy person, I think he thought I was doing it and he was getting angry at me. But what happened was this I always use my cruise control. Always. If I'm on the freeway, it's always, I get adaptive steering, it's always, I'm hitting it and boom, I go 75. That's what I put it up. But if I go up a hill, people go slower. But since I have cruise control, I keep going 75. So now people, they, they want to pass me, but suddenly we go on a hill, then I'm, I'm going faster. And then they start honking the horn like I'm trying to. I said, no, 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 I'm going the same speed, but they are slowing down because they go up a hill. So if you're going up a hill, it's actually you. <laughs> so understand that before you hit somebody, you know? Awesome. <laughs> we have answers for everything. So where, where are you doing your speech at? Is it a, is it a school or? Which what? The, the, the talking you're going to do. You're, you're... Oh, that's uh, this is a church where I'm going to. Okay. okay. Yeah. It's, uh, and I'm going to talk about how to stop all these uh, stupid things. Okay. So we're talking, as, as a guy, you think that a real man can do anything. I can drink as much, I can do as much, I can play video games, I can be no all that stuff. Well, all these things, or have sex as much as that, all that stuff. It's it's not being a man. If you're not in control of your vices, 
you're not a real man. If you can't say no, like, and, and listen, I've been doing all the time because I've been drinking too much. I've been doing drugs. I've been doing, I, I, listen, I broke all these rules. But now when I started thinking, wait a minute, I am not a cool, I'm not a tough guy. A tough guy who gets, he can say no after two drinks. A tough guy says when somebody drops a line of coke and you really want it, they can say no to that. That is suffering for me at that moment, saying no because you really want it. You see what I mean? And I started realizing I mean, no, that all no, these no, 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 the vending machine. They they probably happened. <laughs> they did this trick on on uh, on monkeys. You heard them? Have you heard about that with cocaine? So they, no. they had a button in where they would get cocaine, and they had a button in where they get food. And as soon as they discovered the cocaine, the food button was never been hit anymore. There was only cocaine. That's how addictive that crap is. Yeah. But you see, again, if you're not in control over your vices, you're not a real man. A real man can say no to the bad things. That's what it is. And, and, and that's once you start seeing that, you become a different person. Because then you realize, oh, wait a minute. I'm, I don't have this this under control. With me, it was drinking, you know. And once I realized that I was a slave to drinking, because you're enslaved, right? You cannot do the drinking is telling you that you're going to have to take it. And I go, okay, you know. Guess what? I'm a slave to alcohol. I don't want to be a slave to anybody. So I want right. to stop that. And that's and that I apply simply to everything in life. And suddenly, after 50 years of age, I should have finally learned my lesson. I mean, it's insane. I should have learned. Every day I tell myself, why wouldn't I know this 30 years ago? You know, when so I was How do you get over the nerves of talking in front of people? You, it's just doing it. You, it's preparation is the key. That's the I thing. Once you have it, I get calls all the time. I just hate doing it. Yeah, but it's only the first few minutes, right? And then it's good. So yeah, if yeah, you, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, but, but imagine this. Imagine you go to a fight and you know you cannot go the distance. You're going to be very more nervous than when you go to a fight knowing that you can go full on, right? And that's the same with this what I do. I memorize the crap out of it. And until it's in my head, I cannot make any mistakes. Then I have these little bullet points. And then I just start. And most of the time it starts with a joke, right? Get the audience a little bit loose, crack a joke here, crack a joke there. The ice is broken and boom. Then you're off. Yeah, they say that public speaking is the the number one fear on a regular basis for people. They I say mean, public. I, mean, I just it, it scares the shit out of me. I'll be honest with you. And that's why I want to do. It. That's why I still want to do stand up because it scares the crap out of me. Because if you fail and nobody laughs, that's not going to be a good feeling. And that's why I want to do it. It's so weird how I'm wired. You know, I'm so like uh, Brendan Schaub, right? The fighter. Uh, goes on a podcast, freaking successful, decides to be a stand-up comedian. And, dude, he's doing such a phenomenal job. I told him, I said, dude, I completely envy you. This is so badass what you're doing. Sells out, two and a half thousand people sitting there. Dude, that's the coolest thing ever, just telling jokes and having fun. And he just mastered it, you know. And I, yeah, I, I really want that. But I know it's very freaking scary. And I have a good buddy of mine, Kevin James. And he always told me, he says, you can open. If you want, you can open the show for me. So I have the in. Now I'm just going to have to make the first step and say, okay, I'm doing it. I'm just going to do 10 minutes. Get two guys to open. I'll do only right. five minutes, maximum 10, and then let the other guy do the rest, you know. We'll see. So hopefully, hopefully, it'll, hopefully this will help. Yeah, you never know.
You never know. But the most public speaking I do, the more relaxed I get and the more easy for me is going to be the step. So I have like, I think, four, four speeches planned now. I think after those four, and I really get into it because I do it on a regular basis more, then, then I think I get more comfortable and then maybe I, I want to take the step and jump on a stage if, before a, a big show. And then just yeah, try it out. I have stories. People listening to you, and then, then the other people are trying to be entertained by you. So it's kind of still, it's still be a super extra scary then. It is. But you know who, who really blew me away? I went to the very first show, I believe it was the very first show that Mike Tyson had, his stand up. You remember when he talks about his life with the projection yeah. screen in the background? The, I was blown away. I was like, holy, man, I was so impressed. With Tyson, he he did such a phenomenal job, you know. And he's talking and showing the video video footage. He goes back to where he was born, the house, and you know it was a real cool story. And he talks about everything, the good, the bad. I mean, he talks about everything, you know. And uh, yeah, very impressive. I wanted to see Michael Bisbing. I want to see that show. He's doing one of those shows. I would love to see. I always love Mike a lot, and uh, I think he's he, he's kick, kicking ass as well. You should do one. No, no, there's too much bad shit in my past. But that's not what people want to see because look where you now. It's not. We were talking about this last week, right? They said, "What well, would you change?" I say, "Yeah, I would love to talk to my 25 year old." I say, "Hey, listen, man, don't do this, don't do this." But you know what? When I would, when I would listen to him, imagine this happens, and I can do it. Then maybe I'm not going to be here now, because all the mistakes I made led me to this moment sitting here right now. And maybe how, how, well you, how well do you know Mike Tyson? Do you know him pretty good or no? Or just I know him, yeah. I met him like 15, 20 times or so. So it's, it's not oh, like so I'm, uh, yeah, I'm he's a really cool really guy. Really, I, I, I like him. I like him a lot. It's a very deep, much deeper than people think. He really thinks about things and he got great answers, you know, to, to questions that come just left corner. You go like, wow. Man, he's uh, there's so much more to Mike that people don't know. I, uh, and then all I, I said, See him train, and uh, he's one scary dude, man. The speed that he still has for his age. It's, oh, without, I, yeah, without doubt. Yeah, very scary. So, yeah, I've, uh, I've made probably about the same amount of time. But, uh, I start running, I run into him every once in a while at the shows. Yeah, I, I mean, he's a great guy. I mean, yeah. Nothing but uh, good things to say about Mike. He's been my fighting style, my square stance, everything that's from Mike Tyson and, and Roman Deckers. Roman Deckers was the most most powerful kickboxers ever, Thai boxers, who are still a little bit blading with his feet like this. But Mike is standing wide open, and I realized, oh, that's the reason why he hits so hard both arms, you know, because he's got the square stance. So I started incorporating it into my fighting style, and that became the whole Boss Rutter style, and now blend in with the Bang Muay Thai system that we're doing together with Dwayne Ludwig and it's very successful. It's a it's a it's a grading system. So now you can actually be a Thai boxer and get graded. So you got a yellow belt, an orange belt, blue belt, whatever it is, you can get graded now. And and for a lot of people, because you know as well as I do, that most people who start training Thai boxing, they don't want to fight. They just want to have a good workout. But they've been training for three years and they still don't know where they are. Well now we have a system. And now you have a shirt that you wear, or now we do it with belts as well. Now you know where you are. Oh, you're a brown belt or you're a black belt. You see, you can gradually, slowly but surely, you can become a black belt. And I think it's a really good system. I think people love it. I know people love it because 
our clientele shut up crazy as soon as we introduced it in our gym. Well, I bet. Yeah. So, so you got? I didn't. What kind? How big? How big? A, how big a gym do you have? I know you have a gym, but I didn't know you like run a big. Is it a big one? Yeah. I, it's like uh, ten and a half thousand square feet. Wow, that is big. So it's, it's pretty good. We got two saunas also in the women and the men's res, dressing room. We got a bag room. Then we got a cage, a, a, a rectangle cage, and then we got the big red room. This is where I do my classes. Like last day, we had like thirty people in class or twenty-eight. It's a lot. And, uh, and, and jiu-jitsu, they they have packed classes. I mean, sometimes he's got forty people in class rolling on the ground. It's it's. Uh, Really crazy, but that's a really big room. And we have a weight room as well. So uh, now we have all these crazy weight machines, these nice machines. We have really high-end uh, personal trainers with us that are like the top of their game. I mean, we have guys doing. I have a guy there who is probably Cameron. I think he's 170 pounds, and he does a Turkish get-up with his wife. He can do it with a hundred, uh, I think, 150 pounds. He does a Turkish get-up. Like he sits on the ground, he sticks it up, and he lays on the ground, and then he stands up. You know, you can post. It's a very hard thing to do. Super balance, everything. He is so strong. He can get the 150-pounder, and he gets on one leg, and then he squats on one leg, and he pushes it out again. Good. The guy is such a freak strong, and, you know, he's doing kettlebells. That's his specialty. With what? What do you? How much do you say he weighs? I, it's a lot of weight. I think he's like oh, one seventy. How much does he weigh? Yeah, one seventy, one eighty max. That's crazy. Yeah, and if you see that doing the Turkish get with his wife, she holds up to the ball and he has to buy the belly, and then he he does that with his wife stand up. It's it's, it's crazy strength. He also has the kettlebell and then he pulls himself up. I mean, it's a lot of extra weight. It's an extra person, a, a good person, a good solid size person. So, well, Rob just asked what, what our opinion is: the most effective combination of fighting style. Yeah, well, there needs to be boxing in there for sure with hands because you can do kung fu and everything you want, which I all did at taekwondo and karate, and I did all that against a solid boxer. You're gonna have a problem. You know, all these things with trapping, it won't work against the boxer because you can't grab that punch. It goes too fast. You know, it's not like Aikido, I'm going to hit you and I'm going to grab it. It's not going to work because bonk! Oh, oh, yeah, I'm going to grab it. So make sure that is always in there. I would say also for the street, there's always need to be, especially now with the mixed martial artist, it needs to be either wrestling or ground, if it's two arts only, or wrestling and striking. Because if you're only a striker and you're fighting a wrestler, you're going to be in trouble. He, he's not going to strike with you. If I fight Mike Tyson, you think I'm going to box with him? <laughs> I'm going to take him down as fast as I can, close the distance at least, and try to get him to the ground. Um, so, you know, it's always one of those two. But I say hands, yeah, boxing for sure. And if you can add elbows for close distance, that will be very well, uh, very good as well to get him. We train to throw elbows. You just got to, you know, not really, it's not really illegal, but Every boxer trains at home. Accident, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's like an uppercut. You know, when you when you throw an uppercut, the best way to describe how to throw a, a really good, effective one is to throw your elbow into their chest. And your fist is going to come right up the pipe. I mean, it's going to hit them right under the chin. 
Yeah, yeah, that's gonna work. I, I had in, in, in an, I shot a movie. It was my first starring role, The Eliminator. The title says it all. But it was a fun movie. It was a fun movie to do. And I fight against these big guys, this big black guy. He's the guy from uh, Dodgeball, Michelle. You remember the big guy? Him. Yep. So he needs to hit me next to my head. But he hits at an angle and his elbow hits me. But I thought he just caught me with the hand. So, and he's a big guy. And I go, boom, and I have to go down on the shot. And it go, and I didn't want to break character, even though he hit me because I thought that's going to be a great take, you know, because it's real. So I go like, eh, cut. And I go, is it okay? And people walk over to me to go, oh, shit. I go, what? He said, dude, you can see your skull. I said, what do you mean? It's, it was an elbow. I go, oh, we oh, missed the punch. So we used that actually, that punch. But the problem was, this was the second week of filming, and we had two and a half weeks left. And I had an egg on my head, like this thing, which you could only see from the side because they had a plastic surgeon. They had 45 stitches put it in, like really nice they made it. But every scene from that movie on, I'm talking straight into the camera because if I would go to the side, you would see the lump on my head. That was from the first fighting scene. Crazy. Question for you, Eric. Who's your favorite yeah. boxer at the moment? Yeah, the Logan brothers, I don't care nothing about them, guys. I'll be honest with you. And I don't really watch boxing right now. I just There's not nobody interesting out there to watch. I don't know about you, boss, but I'm just – I'm bored of the boxing right now. I like a few. Errol Spence Jr., I'm a big fan of his. Uh, Triple G, I still like him. Lomachenko, no guys like that. Big Tyson Fury fan. I like Tyson Fury the way oh, he I like is. I mean, he's tough. Yeah. With the Wilder in his last fight, I gained respect for even though he lost. Yeah, I yeah. gained a little bit more respect because I didn't, I didn't care for him prior, but I gained a lot of respect for him after that fight. You know what? But why I had that? I had to with the Klitschko. Somehow it was it, it, they made it look too easy, and I, I never had real respect for them until he fought uh, Anthony Joshua. And then he got hit, you know, and then he survived, and he brought Joshua in trouble. And that's when I go like, dude, he's a real tough guy. You know, it's, it's somehow you put those mental things on that make no sense. Maybe it was right. a decision one time. I had to go Volkanovski, the, the world champion. I thought that when he fought Max Holloway, that Holloway won the fight. And somehow they give me an adverse reaction, which is absolutely not even his fault. You know, but then he puts a fight over with Brian Ortega. And I go like, I start following both these guys the next day. I mean, it was insanity. It was the biggest, craziest fight I've ever seen. And Volkanovski is such an animal. And I go like, why I was so, why I was so blind? Because of a decision that somebody else made? It's so stupid how sometimes we think. You see all these things? That's a rubber band thing. That's what I think about. Man, I should never do that anymore. Lock it up, you know, learn from your mistakes. Right. Let's try not to make that mistake anymore. Stupid. All right, boss, our time's about up. I got one more question for you. Okay. What fight, what fight like, me, boxing-wise, stands out is Mickey Ward and uh, Arturo Gatti. Yeah. That stands out for me. What what fight stands out for you? Oh, uh, that, yeah, well, I mean, that was a – I mean, it was hell of a that war. That as well. But, in, in, okay, MMA, MMA, I would <laughs> – Chandler versus Gaethje, the last fight that we saw, and then Ortega versus Volkanovski. That fight was an insane fight. You know, everything with um, 
Max Holloway, I mean, the, the freaking guy. I mean, they're wars, constantly wars. I have so much respect. I always thought, you know, I was a tough guy. But then when you see guys like that, you go, eh, maybe I wasn't as tough as I was thinking I was because these guys bring it to a whole different level. I I just enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, but Mickey Ward, I mean, that was a trilogy, right, that they went. Yeah, he fought three times. Let me ask a question. Were you at the fight in Japan when Don Fry fought Thompson. No, he fought James Thompson. Oh yes, I was, I was the commentator. Okay, yeah, I fought my car. They they were just it was awesome. It was just standing there just punching each other. Yeah, but did you see the Takiyama fight and Don Fry? No, same thing. No, that is your Akiyama. Akiyama is instead. They grab both and they start hitting and they they go. I'm gonna send you the clip right now. And, right. and you're gonna you're gonna freak out when you see that that is something. And then when they break loose, the camera zooms in, and you see Akiyama's face is freaking blowing up. And then they go again. Ah, it's yeah. It's same with, uh, hey, yeah. Boss, I will talk to you next week. Hi. Thanks, guys. Hey, <laughs> love everybody. All right. Much love to everybody and spread the love. If you see a friend, you know, and even if he's the same gender and you love him, tell him you love him. <laughs> you're going to hate yourself if you don't. Godspeed and party on everybody. And broadcast. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that.